Thank you, Shirley. So, as Sam said, I'm Debs, and I'm on the leadership team here at St Jude's. And I really like quizzes. As some of you know, I am sometimes just a little bit competitive. So to start off with, I just want you to say, is this stone dead or alive? So people in the church, would you like to tell me? What do you think? Dead. Okay, so we think this is dead. What about these beautiful flowers that my lovely husband bought me this morning? Are these dead or alive? Oh, interesting. Some people think dead, some people think alive. I would go with the fact that they're alive until I forget to water them and then they will be dead. But at the moment, I, I would say these are still alive. What about this, this apple? Dead or alive? Oh, it's a big silence. It's a tricky one, isn't it? It's a tricky one. Sorry? It could be alive. Probably the pip is alive inside it. The pips are alive, but the apple itself, it's not. See, sometimes it's quite difficult to tell whether things are dead or alive. And this is what we're thinking about in this letter. So we're continuing with this series in Revelation, looking at the letter to the churches, to the seven churches, where Jesus speaks through John to the different churches. And today we're looking at Sardis. Now, Sardis was a very important city. It was, in the, it was the ancient, or the capital, of the ancient kingdom of Lydia. And there were kind of two parts to the city. So the older part of the city was built on a hill. And then when the city had expanded and grown, they built more down on the plain. And it was important because the plain was very fertile. And also, the, um, the city was built on an important trade route. But the most important thing about Sardis was its military importance, because the bit that was on the steep hill was considered impregnable to invaders. And yet, in 546 BC, a daring soldier climbed up the sheer cliff and was able to get into the city. This led to an attack, which led to the capture of the city. And the city's inhabitants had mistakenly confident in their safety and security. And perhaps this false sense of safety and security had spilled over into the spiritual lives of the inhabitants of Sardis. This letter was actually written hundreds of years after that invasion, um, and the city had been rebuilt, but not to that same level of importance. And the church in Sardis at this point was seen as active and thriving. And yet, Jesus speaks to this church through John with one of the most severe criticisms against any of the churches. He says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Well, that's quite tough to hear, isn't it? You are dead. I mean, the church seemed to be doing really well. Perhaps they had hundreds of people coming to their services. Perhaps they had wonderful music with whizzy drums and guitars and smoke machines and stuff. Perhaps the church ran wonderful programs in the community. Perhaps they had great projects that were going on and they had great plans for expansion. But Jesus says they were dead. Were they following God's purposes and plans or were they following their own? 
You see, God sees the reality. It doesn't really matter what people thought about the church's success. What really matters is God's perception. Because ultimately, we're responsible to God. We're accountable to him, not to people. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, we're told that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And in this passage, in verse 4, we're told by implication that many people in the church in Sardis had soiled their clothes, not literally, but by allowing sin to seep into their lives, to get under the surface. And it was unchallenged, and it was now there, this hidden sin under the appearance of respectability. Had the people forgotten Paul's words in his letter to the Romans when he said, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind? Were the church members belonging to Christ in name, but not in their heart? Had they not only drifted from the teaching of the apostles, but had they also stopped growing in faith and evangelism? Now, the word hypocrite means an actor or somebody playing a part. And is this what they were? Trying to look good, playing the part of being a Christian? The Old Testament is full of prophets speaking out against this hypocrisy. In Isaiah 29, we read, These people come near to me, that's to God, with their mouth and honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And again, in Isaiah 58, there's a description of fasting, hypocritical fasting, because it involves fighting and quarrelling and pretending to be humble. In Malachi, the priests are criticized because they're sacrificing animals that were blind or lame or diseased. But it's not just in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we have Matthew in chapter 6. Those that make a big deal out of fasting are called hypocritical. And of course, then there's Matthew 23, that wonderful but slightly scary passage when Jesus criticizes the Pharisees for their hypocrisy. And this is what Jesus saw in Sardis. People were going through the motions, hypocrisy in worship, hypocrisy in prayer, hypocrisy in their lives. It was just nominal Christianity. But before we get too judgmental, we need to look at ourselves. A few weeks ago, in his thought for the day, David Bacon talked about how familiarity can breed contempt because sometimes we're familiar, we're so familiar with church and how it works. We're familiar with the hymns or the songs that we sing. We know the liturgy. Um, we know the Bible stories. And sometimes we can take them for granted. Maybe we don't come with the reverence and the awe that Jesus deserves. Maybe sometimes we're just singing the words, but we're not actually thinking about what they mean. And I was challenged to think about my own faith. And I thought, do I always come to my Bible with an expectation that Jesus will speak? Do I always come to church ready to hear what God is going to say? Do I always sing worship with a heart that is ready to be changed? And I, I don't know about you, 
But actually, if I'm honest, sometimes I have to say no to some of those questions. Sometimes it's just like they're on my to-do list and I just want to give a big tick. Yep, done my Bible reading today. Is that the same for you? Because if that's what we're like all the time, if we've lost our sense of reverence and awe and expectation and love for Jesus, then are we any better than the people in the church in Sardis? Do we take our privilege for granted? Are we too familiar with God? Have we forgotten who he really is and how much he loves us, so much so that he sent his son to die for us? Because if we have, that's not real faith. John Stott says, but all Christian activity, if it is not an expression of love for God or for others, is a hollow mockery and an empty pantomime. If it is not an expression of love for God or for others, it's a hollow mockery and an empty pantomime. Inward integrity is needed. We need real worship, real prayer, real faith. And we're known by our fruit. But there is hope for those in Sardis and also for us. And of course, that hope is Jesus. Only Jesus and his life-giving voice can bring the spiritually dead back to life. In John chapter 5, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And so, in the letter we get to the remedy. John writes a series of instructions. He says, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. Remember what you received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. So firstly, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. There were some within Sardis who had not participated in the defilement of their clothes. There did remain a godly remnant. Just as in the Old Testament, Noah, who found favour with God and was spared. Lot was a righteous man in the midst of a depraved city. In the time of Elijah, there was still a remnant who had not bowed to the false god Baal. And of course, Jesus talked about his little flock in this faithless and adulterous generation. And so in this letter to the church in Sardis, the risen Jesus calls the few to wake up. They're not dead, but asleep. They need to wake up. And once they're awake, they need to strengthen what remains. In the early church, as today, new believers were strengthened by the nurturing of their faith. So they were loved into maturity in Christ. Older, more mature Christians were called to strengthen the younger ones by their example, by their teaching and by their friendship. Now, how can we do that? Well, I believe it's really important that our faith isn't just a Sunday faith. We need to be meeting with each other during the week. We need to support one another and encourage one another in our faith. We need to pray for one another, be accountable to each other. And we need to be checking that our lives are worthy of Jesus. 
And I appreciate that that isn't always easy during lockdown, but there are still ways. Life groups are still meeting online through this time. Are you in one? If you're not, get in touch with Neil and talk to him about joining one. I know that for me, my life group is really important. We meet together, we look at the passage that was preached on on the, sun, the previous Sunday, we talk about how it applies to our life, we pray for one another, we share what's going on in our lives, and we encourage one another to grow. There are also opportunities through the week. There's Breathe on a Wednesday morning, just half an hour to stop and listen to what the Spirit is saying to us. Thought for the day, every day on Facebook, and on Instagram. Watch it. Just spend that little bit of time listening to what God has to say. There's Prayer Central once a month. Prayer Breakfast next Saturday, as Sam said, and the 24 hours of prayer that follow. Join in. Pray with the community. Pray with the body of the church. Encourage each other to, to grow. Phone somebody. Or if you can, meet for a walk. I've had some intensely spiritual conversations recently with friends as I've been blown along the seafront. And then, of course, read your Bible with intention. Expect God to speak to you through it. Maybe do a Bible study with a friend and then share each day what you think God is saying to you through the passage. And prayer. Prayer will make a difference. So pray for yourself. Pray for others, pray for the church family, pray for the church nationally, pray that we will be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we overflow with love and grace. Pray that we will be set on fire with our love for him. So wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. And then we've got the second set of commands. Remember what you received and heard, hold it fast and repent. And we've heard that before, haven't we? Um, in the letter to the church in Ephesus, Jesus said, remember, repent, and repeat. Those were the three commands for them. So to the church in Sardis, and therefore to us also, we are called to remember what we first heard and received. Not just remembering the words of the gospel, which obviously is very good news, but also that which we received, the Holy Spirit, because we are promised him, aren't we? In Peter, on the day of Pentecost, he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is the most amazing gift that anyone could ever receive because he changes us from within. He grows his fruit in our hearts, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He transforms us into the likeness of Christ. We are his temple. And when we remember all of this, our natural reaction is to turn to God and repent of all that we've got wrong. And the best thing is that it's not just a one-off gift. We're called to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians, we're told not just once, but to go on being filled with the Spirit. The Word of God tells us that we must pray in the Spirit, preach in the Spirit, worship in the Spirit, live in the Spirit. And I think if we're to do all of that, we need to be continuously filled with Him. Again, John Stott says, 
A stale church can be refreshed, a sleepy church awakened, a weak church strengthened, and a dead church brought back to life. It's not too late for any of us. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. Remember what you received and heard, hold it fast and repent. And why? Why do we do all this? So that we will be dressed in the clothes of righteousness, robes of white, walking with Jesus, our names in the book of life. Isn't that what we want? A reputation of life is not enough. We need an inward reality and purity, an integrity that is seen and known by God, a life that is continuously being filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these words of warning in this letter. And thank you that there is hope because of Jesus. Lord, fill us afresh. Set us on fire with love for you. Fill us so that we can't help but overflow with your love and light and grace and life. For the sake of Jesus. Amen. Sing our final.